Welcome to Holy Cow, a Cubs podcast. I'm your host, Sean Holland. And unfortunately, since this, as you can tell, this is the next day after I released my first podcast, uh, the Cubs did not win the one-game division tiebreaker. And now we're playing the Colorado Rockies in the wildcard game tonight. So I guess if you're listening to this after the game, you know what happens. Hopefully it's good news, but I don't know. So this is my wild card preview. I brought back an old guest that I've had before, Randall Sanders. You can find on Twitter at Randall J Sanders. Um, he uh, wanted he does great video uh, audio clips of games. So like you know if there's a dramatic walk off, he will cut together the Pat Hughes call. If you're into that sort of thing, so if you follow him on Twitter, you will get those great. Um, Great sound clips. Anyway, uh, he wanted me to plug his um, friend's website, uh, Crowley's Clubhouse, C-R-A-W-L-E-Y-S, Crowley's Clubhouse. They have great shirts. Um, it's kind of a fun idea they have. Um, they're the periodic table of elements, but all the elements are Cubs players. So, you know, M.E. for Mike Montgomery or... KB for Chris Bryant, and they're pretty cool shirts, so you should check that out. Anyway, uh, we just basically talk about the tiebreaker game and the wild card game tonight. So here is Randall. Thank you for coming on, Randall. Uh, thank you for having me. Obviously, I was hoping that I had a couple more days to work on a podcast for the NLDS preview when the Cubs won their division, but. Of course, that was not the case. The uh, Brewers won the tiebreaker game this afternoon on Monday, a three to one. Deeply, deeply unfortunate turn of events. Yes, indeed. And I'm gonna get into the wild card game in a minute, but we should say a little bit about this game. And really, all I can say at first is Orlando Arcia, really. Yeah, yeah, I, I realize people can't see me shaking my head and sighing deeply, but I assure you that is what I'm doing to let Orlando Arcia and his sub 600 OPS reach four times on base hits is unfathomable. And uh, of course, many of the more statistically inclined people on Twitter pointed out that he'd been hitting better lately. Uh, he had a, a 788 OPS over his last month or so. And Boy, if that 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 doesn't make it any better, I'm I'm sorry. That does not soothe the pain for me. Yeah, and obviously Jolie Chessin, who has had the Cubs number pretty much all year. There's people were saying, well, they got to him one game, and I looked it up. They got three runs off of him in the game. They quote got to him, but. He was good again, and he shut down the Cubs. He did. He held them to, I believe it was Rizzo's solo home run for one hit over his, what was it, five and a third, five and two-thirds innings. And it was simply another anemic day for a team that has had more than their fair share of anemic days. Yeah, this offense, like, the feast or famine, like, I mean, even in 2016, 2015, they had this a little bit, 
But it's just gotten to an extreme this year. It has gotten to an extreme, and there is a statistic that uh, what looks like NBC Sports Chicago put out today, and that is that the Cubs were second in the major leagues this season in games with one or zero runs scored. They came in with 39 such games behind only the Orioles at 40 and ahead of the Marlins, Giants, and Mets. And to read off this same graphic, the other four teams on this five-team list, that being Baltimore, Miami, San Francisco, and National League New York, they were a combined 260 wins against 387 losses. And that is not the company you want to be in if you intend any kind of success across a major league season. Yeah, you think about it, actually, looking at that stat, you're like, how did they even win? I mean... This is a team that won 95 games. And but, this yeah. is this often comes off as a terribly meatball thought when I voice it, and I completely admit that. But it did seem like there was or is, the season's not over yet, but is a considerable discrepancy between what is a pretty good record and what were some very troubling offensive numbers over the course of the season. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, you have Chris Bryant, obviously had injuries and stuff, well below average. Uh, Wilson Contreras, maybe it was overuse, I don't know, fell off the map. I mean, Addison Russell, before all the horrible off-the-field stuff, was doing nothing as a player. And it was just like, if you think about it, um, uh, Kelly Wallace, who's always on Twitter, put it very good that a lot of times it seemed like it was Javi Baez and nothing. It, it was Javi Baez and his backup singers seemingly a disproportionate amount of the time. And that's not a bad lead singer to have, but that act isn't going to carry you across a full season. Yeah. And I mean, I will say the only other Anthony Rizzo other than a really weird first month has been very good. But other than those two, it's been pretty slim picking. Rizzo Rizzo did very good work to bring his numbers up from his early season status up to what, for the most part, ended up being a pretty typical season for him. The home runs were down. Um, he'll finish the regular season with, quote-unquote, only 25 of them. But he, uh, hit, he drove in over 100 runs to whatever extent one believes RBI matter. And uh, the rest of his, uh, his rate stats were more or less in line with his career norms. So he did a lot of very good work in the middle and towards the end of the season to get his numbers up from what was a very uncharacteristic start for him. And that's good, but, uh, and I, I don't want to say it alone was not enough, but again, Rizzo's consistency and Baez's breakout season together were not enough to keep this offense afloat at times. Yeah. So I, I very much of the opinion that we should not tip our hat or, you know, congratulate the Brewers. Some people might want to do that. I don't want to do that. You know, that's, that's perfectly fine for some people to do. There's a lot of people out there who are perhaps a bigger, bigger individuals than myself. And as always, that is entirely their prerogative. Uh, for better or for worse, I don't find myself with any inclination or in any mood to tip any caps or credit anything or do anything like that. Um, so again, what, what people want to do after what was a pretty bad loss today and what was 
kind of a rough end to the season, even though it didn't seem all that rough in progress. That's entirely their prerogative, much as uh, you and I have our own prerogatives in that regard. Yeah, and, you know, it's just, I know the Brewers are good and all, but you had a five-game lead at the start of September. At some level, even if it's not totally that, you did kind of have an opportunity as a team and didn't finish it off, even if you're going against another team that is very good. The, the way the way I've couched it most of this last, uh, I don't know if you want to call it two weeks, three weeks, whatever, but the way I've, I've couched it, it certainly isn't that the Cubs played terribly, though they certainly dropped some games that it would have been very nice to have, and it turns out, pick up any one of those games, and it would have been enough. Uh, they certainly didn't play that badly, but they didn't do what they needed to do with the team behind them refusing seemingly to ever lose a game. So it isn't it isn't that they played badly. It's that ultimately they ended up doing not quite enough. And I, I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. They can both be true. Yeah, and obviously the Cubs have a little bit of bad luck with their bullpen. You had Brandon Morrow going down, Strope going down, uh, with a decision by Joe Madden that I won't get into, but I still have never figured out why you bat Strope and let him swing in the game he gets hurt. But that's a side point. That remains an inexplicable decision. And it wasn't even that Strope had pitched one quick inning and sending him back out for a second might have been the right call. He had pitched two innings at that point, and Joe, for whatever reason, wanted him to start a third. So it's a puzzling decision to have him bat in the first place and an even more puzzling decision to keep him in the game to bat in that, excuse me, in that situation. And I, I it it made it very difficult. Now, for for the most part, when they had save situations come up during Strope's absence, they managed to weather them pretty well. We remember that there were games where Joe mixed and matched with Chavez and Rosario and Cishek. There was a game where he put Jorge De La Rosa out there for his first uh, his first career save in what has been a, a fairly a fairly elongated major league career for him. So for the most part, they managed to weather the lack of a set closer pretty well as far as end of game, same situations. But where I think it hurt them quite a bit is places where they had a lead to protect in the sixth or the seventh or the eighth. And of course your, your closer and then your second closer being out, it forces everyone to kind of move up a position. So the guys you might have pitching in the sixth end up having, or the guys you might have pitching in the seventh end up having to do it in the sixth and everyone moves up. And ultimately that trickles, I guess trickles kind of upward in a sense. And it leaves you with weaker options at the tail end. So I think that's where it hurt them more so than in your traditional designated ninth inning save opportunities. Yeah. And that's kind of with the point I was driving at because today they're mainly their most effective reliever. You would say right now is Jesse Chavez. And, and they, yeah, that's, that's a thing is that you're your journeyman, uh, two seam throwing 93 miles an hour, topping out at July pickup ended up being one of your most reliable relievers down the stretch. And that generally means something has gone wrong with the bullpen and that you came into the season with. And the funny thing is, so I really trust him and he came in in like the sixth inning and seventh inning and handled it. But then, like you said, they had nothing left in the eighth and the Brewers bullpen is lights out and they're not giving anything up. So you have to weather into the late innings and 
once they went from Chavez, things just got away from them. It, it, they did get away from them. That's been another recurring theme is games that were close or even tied in the sixth or the seventh. And then a Kinsler or a, a, a Rosario or someone else goes out there and suddenly it's less close or, or Maples goes out there or whomever else. And suddenly the game is not tied or what was a close game is no longer tied and those don't really show up in any kind of box score because they're not a blown save um but yes there there were any number of games that got away from them like that because weaker relievers were forced to come in to try and keep them close or tied and that hurt them quite a bit as well yeah so i guess enough about the brewers and and of course the, this is almost like karma for all of us i don't know what i want to call it but there were way too many brewers fans at Wrigley Field today. It was it was deeply unfortunate from what I was able to see and hear on television. It was intensely unfortunate. It was not not a good showing. Yeah. I mean, now obviously I guess you can look at it as a way if the Brewers like to the Cubs they've already won the World Series. People forget that. But uh, the Cubs have already been there and for the Brewers this is a much bigger deal to beat the Cubs. It seemed like that way and maybe every Brewer fan was desperate to get to Wrigley Field and would pay any price. I don't know, but it wasn't fun to see. Uh, yeah, apparently the uh, apparently the, the team was telling Brewers fans how to take the train down from Milwaukee and get to Chicago. And I have to wonder how many of these people were not aware of how to take the train. It's it's a large vehicle that runs on a track system. You pay money, you get a ticket, you get your own seat sometimes, and an hour later or so, you find yourself in Chicago from Milwaukee. I, I question why they needed to tell people how to take the train. Like, I'm, I'm trying not to turn this into a, a rural Wisconsin joke, but it, it's leading me there, so I'm going to stop before I say anything else. Okay, that's probably, that's probably good. So um, anyway, I guess we should get on to... What's going on tomorrow night? The uh, Rockies were beaten by the Dodgers five to two. Very and soundly. So, yes, and so they were. They are coming to Wrigley Field tomorrow night for the wild card game. Uh, obviously, the Cubs have been in the wild card game before in 2015, where they basically destroyed the Pirates for the rest of time. They did. They set the Pirates back about uh, 50 years as a franchise, and. Um, yeah, there's there's always been that to hang their hat on between uh, the Pirates trying to be competitive this year at the trade deadline and between uh, doing nothing of the sort last year and the year before. The Cubs uh, seemingly slammed the Pirates' competitive window shut. Now, uh, I will say that some of the moves they made at the deadline this year, like getting Chris Archer, if he's capable of returning to form, then he is a pitcher who is under control and on their roster for next year, so that helps. And they certain seem to, certainly seem to have found some starting pitching to go into next season with. But uh, I don't know if you want to continue, consider that an extension of Pittsburgh's previous competitive window the one that ran through 2012 and 2013 and 2014 i don't know if you want to consider that a new com- com- yeah, competitive window but uh the cubs certainly did a number on that organization uh that remains to this day so there was at least that yep all right so now the cubs season against the rockies they were three and three against them i personally attended two of those games in denver um 
They the Rockies have a very dangerous lineup. The pitching, starting pitching, is not great, but it's decent. And the bullpen is highly paid, but it can have some issues. The, the bullpen is not unlike the rotation in that it, it can be very not great at times, but it's decent. They do have Adam Adovino at the back end of the bullpen, and he's very good. Um, and, of course, our old friend Wade Davis, has his, his struggles are well known at the back end of their bullpen. But we know that Wade Davis, uh, of course, is an unfeeling, unthinking machine pitcher. Um, and there's nothing he probably relishes more even after a little bit of failure than getting back out there the next day and trying to do better. Uh, so even if the numbers, <clears throat> even if the numbers don't necessarily uh, favor the Brewers bullpen, they certainly have names back there that can on any given day, uh, do a complete shutdown job on whomever they may be facing. So now the starting pitcher for the Cubs is Lester, and I think Kyle Freeland, but then I heard some Antonio Sanzatella mix in there. I'm not exactly sure if they've named a starter yet, but I think it's going to be Freeland, but I'm not sure about that. I certainly haven't seen any names besides Kyle Freeland, and as of... uh, Two hours prior to the recording of this this podcast, which is about 7 p.m. Central Time on Monday evening, uh, Denver Post reporters were saying that Bud Black said Kyle Freeland was going to start the wild card game tomorrow, uh, even on three days rest. So I have not seen anything that would uh, counter that. Right. Well, let, let's assume that it's Freeland. Then. That's probably a safe assumption. Uh, he's a lefty, I believe, if I'm remembering right. Believe I believe you are correct. Yes, uh, he he has interesting splits this year. I think his road ERA is like three forty, and his home ERA is two forty, something like that. It's like he actually pitches better at Coors Field than on the road, which is kind of weird. Kyle Freeland is in fact a left-handed pitcher, so it's good to know we were both correct on that. And you are correct in that his uh, numbers for the most part are they're actually not all that far apart between home and away. Um, but either way, he's still very good and it is still going to be no, it's going to be no easy task for the Cubs tomorrow night. Um, but that's something we've seen with this team all year is that they seem to be flummoxed by pitchers whom you would not hope they'd be shut down by. And every time it seems they come up against uh, a pitcher of higher, higher quality, they seem to have uh, seem to do pretty good work against him. Just recently, uh, Trevor Williams of the pirates, who apparently is having a, a Jake Arietta esque second half of this season, they faced him at Wrigley and they put three runs on him and they've had, nights like that against guys like Syndergaard. They've had nights like that against guys like Mike fulton who is has been very good for the Braves this season. And so it's just another element of this team that's very difficult to figure sometimes. Yeah, and now also another interesting element, since Freeland is a lefty, that will affect the Cubs lineup. And I'm, I'm curious exactly what Madden is going to do with it. Will he stay with the, relatively the same lineup he's been using? Or will he go for like a right-handed heavy lineup? And that is the question. Even even day to day, between pitchers who pitch with the same handedness, it can be difficult to uh, figure what Joe's lineup is going to be day in and day out. Uh, 
So against a left-handed pitcher like Freeland tomorrow, it is, it's difficult to say what he's going to do, which sounds like a cop-out, but, and it may be, but it's also true. It's difficult to predict what Joe is going to do with uh, facing a tough lefty tomorrow. So we may just have to wait and see. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if Almora started, but other than that, I don't know. Uh, yeah. My, my hope would be that if he does start, Joe doesn't engage in the fallacy of batting him leadoff. Because whatever you think about Almora, whether you think he's a good player who just has to be used right, whether you think he's a player who perhaps hasn't quite lived up to his prospect pedigree, uh, his skill set just doesn't lead, just doesn't lend itself well to leading off. He doesn't especially take pitches. His his eye isn't particularly discerning. He swings at a lot of pitches early in the count that perhaps a slightly more patient hitter would not. And it's not that he can't be productive with that manner of inclination, but it's not a skill set that leads itself well to leading off. And perhaps in game number 164 of the season, Joe will finally realize that. Well, I, I actually have an interesting idea for it. I don't think it'll happen, but Ben Zobrist hitting right-handed, a little bit less power. He would be an intriguing leadoff hitter in a right-handed heavy lineup. He would, absolutely. Zobrist is always a guy who is going to be very patient at the plate and is going to, at the very least, uh, look at the pitches with a little more discerning of an eye than a guy like Elmora. And I would not personally have any problem with him batting Zobrist uh, leading off against a tough left-handed pitcher. I think that might be a little bit of surprise, but I don't think it would be a bad surprise. I think given the situation, it would be a very easily defensible move. Honestly, with um, looking at the numbers, Chris Bryant hitting leadoff against the lefty wouldn't be horrible, especially with his lack of power this year. I agree. The, the power is not there, and the, the shoulder clearly isn't right. And I think we knew that when he, even when he came off the disabled list the second time. Uh, the shoulder clearly isn't right, but the, the eye... Uh, the eye isn't affected by a shoulder injury, and at the very least, you'd hope he could uh, go up there and perhaps take a few pitches that he might normally swing at without doing any without doing any damage to them. And at the very least, he would give you a a very fast and very athletic base runner uh, on ahead of some of the other hitters in the lineup. Yeah. So we'll move over to the pitching side of things. Uh, you got Lester is going going to start and. Cole Hamels is a potential backup option in the bullpen to come in. And how do you feel about the, they did that of course in the world series game seven, but what do you think about the using the Cole Hamels as sort of a backstop reliever? If Lester is for whatever reason, well, depending on what Lester does, I think it's a good idea either way. Um, I think the issue a lot of the time is starting pitchers are so much creatures of routine, creatures of habit, that for as good as anybody who can be, putting them in a situation like coming out of the bullpen can sometimes throw them off just enough um, that it, it doesn't work out all that well. Now, Cole Hamels is a guy who, of course, has been through every conceivable battle. He's been through every conceivable war. He's a veteran, uh, and we know that... Uh, he has Joe Madden's ear and likewise. And so if Cole Hamels has said that he has no issue coming out of the bullpen, then I personally have no reason to distrust him on that front. And if Lester can give you five or six, maybe you can get two or three out of Cole Hamels, depending on the game situation, or 
I don't want to, to, to speak, speak out into the world of a situation that would have John Lester exit early. I don't want to put that evil out there. But in the event that that were to happen, you could potentially Cole Hamels could go out there and pitch in wrong, long relief and perhaps keep the game from getting out of hand. So I think it's something very good to have something very good to have in, in, uh, in reserve, depending on the game situation. So I'm interested to see how it goes. Yep. And of course, to quote a classic film, The Waterboy, uh, last game of the year, Brent, can't hold anything back now. Yeah, if you if they don't win tomorrow night, there's no there's no saving the bullpen for the next day. There's no go get them tomorrow, and this is what the Cubs have done to themselves: is that they've put themselves in a a win or go home situation, and every opportunity to uh, not put themselves in that situation, and they were unable to take any of those opportunities. So this is where they are now, and this is what they've done to themselves: is they are in a win or go home. So hold nothing back. Uh, take everything out there with you and hope it's enough. Yes. And of course, you know, the Rockies have a scary lineup, but of course it's going to be Carlos Gonzalez. that does something because Carlos Gonzalez always does something against the Cubs. Carlos Gonzalez has enjoyed hitting against the Cubs for his career. He is uh, one of those Cub killers. We don't talk about him all that much because he's been injured a fair bit the last few seasons and because uh, obviously the Rockies only play the Cubs six to seven times a year, but he has always enjoyed seeing the bear on the sleeve in the are standing on the mound against him. And uh, I kind of wish he wouldn't. It, it, it gets to be a little much sometimes, but there's nothing you can do. And uh, I guess the numbers don't quite bear that out. He's had, a pretty good career against the Cubs. I don't know if it's been a great career. He's hit 299 against them on base at 340. He slugged 588 against them. And in uh, 200 plate appearances in his career against the Cubs, he's hit 13 home runs. So he has certainly enjoyed hitting against the Cubs. Um, but as is often the case when people put the, the Cub killer label on a guy, we forget that uh, Carlos Gonzalez has been around for a while. He made his major league debut in 2008 and so he would have faced the cubs in years like 2010 2011 2012 2013 2014 when he was in his heyday and the cubs were very much not in their heyday so i think if you looked at a lot of guys who played contemporary with carlos gonzalez they probably have pretty good career numbers against the cubs too because they were facing a lot of very bad cubs pitching for the better part of their career yeah exactly and as we found out today, it'll probably be some bottom of the order guy with like a with like a six eighty five OPS or something that will go up anyway. So I, I'm already mentally ticking down the list of utility infielders and backup catchers on the the Rockies roster who could be on their wild card roster tomorrow, and wondering who is going to start a new nightmare for us tomorrow. All right. Well, I think I'll end this. Uh, little preview on um i'll just ask you a couple things um first who do you think is gonna have a good game for the cubs tomorrow who are you worried about for the cubs tomorrow and you don't have to give a prediction but how concerned are you about the cubs in this game who do i think is going to have a good game for the cubs tomorrow i am going to take what is probably a little bit of an easy cop-out answer and i'm going to predict uh rizzo 
have it has a good game for the Cubs tomorrow just because I need that to be true. Um, who am I worried about tomorrow? I'm worried about everyone. What I've said about the Cubs all season is that the only team that can really beat the Cubs is the Cubs. And when this team is on and playing up to even 85 or 90% of their ability, they are one of the best teams in the major leagues They're, They aren't starting a bunch of scrap heap guys. They aren't starting a bunch of reclamation projects for whom everything has to go right in order to be a good team. They're starting a, a, a team that has no shortage of all stars, no shortage of experience, no shortage of accolades. They don't need to be firing at 120% to be effective. And when they are not doing that, they're capable of losing to any player, any team in the major leagues, no matter how bad. So I will say that I'm worried about everyone tomorrow, but I will say equally that if they can simply play up to their ability, they don't even have to play beyond their ability. If they can play up to their ability, they will make it the kind of game it needs to be. All right. And I think I'll just say for my, I think the player I think is going to be good is Chris Bryant. I think it's going to be, a revenge game for him getting hit in the face earlier in the year. And I think he's going to go off. Um, I don't know if I'm right, but that's what I'm going to say. And then who I'm worried about. Um, honestly, I'm kind of worried about Joe Madden because he has made some iffy decisions over the past month. And he always kind of worries me in big games. So you worry, you worry there are times when he's going to try and get too, too magic-y, too cute by half, and it will end up backfiring on him. And in, in-game management is something that seems to uh, elude a lot of managers, and it does feel like in the past two seasons Joe has regressed a little in that regard. It's entirely possible that winning 97 games and 103 games in the first two years of his tenure as Cubs manager masked that a little bit. Um, or it's possible that like, like players, sometimes tendencies change over the course of a number of seasons and uh, a skill just tends to uh, fade away a little bit. But I do agree with you in that there are times when there are moves that could be made on his part and they are either not made or are made incorrectly and it uh, can cost them, uh, they can cost them a lead or even cost them the game at times. Yeah. And then as for my prediction of how the game will go, I'm, this is kind of a cop-out, I guess, but you're going to know in the first two innings because if the Cubs offense, it is either on or it's off, and you can tell pretty quick. And I think if the Cubs jump out early or their offense looks good early, we can feel good about this game. If not, it's going to be really tense for the rest. It's going to be an ordeal the rest of the game. It would It would probably soothe a lot of damaged Cub fan souls if the – Cubs could maybe put one, two, three, or heck, even get greedy and put four runs on the board in the first two or three innings tomorrow. I think that would go a long way towards easing, uh, easing some some damaged hearts tomorrow and putting some people at ease. Me, me included, absolutely. This is not a this is not a, a passive aggressive reference to anyone. I'm, I'm talking about me mostly. So my my hope is they can come out and at the very least have good at bats, good plate appearances tomorrow, and at least show you that. They are seeing Freeland well and are inclined to try and score runs tomorrow. Yep. And I, that's a good point to leave it at. And this is going to be interesting tomorrow and might get 
you might there might be some rage on Twitter or there might be some happiness. Rage on Twitter, never. No one's ever been mad about anything on Twitter and especially not sports. That's right. Anyway, well, thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. A couple of quick notes at the end of the uh, podcast. Kyle Freeland is starting for the Rockies. That was confirmed this morning. And uh, playoff rosters were announced for this, for this game. And Carl Edwards Jr. is not on it. Pedro Strope is on it, though, however. So Strope is back. And uh, Edwards, they said, has some forearm discomfort. So I don't know. Maybe that explains some of his recent struggles. I don't know. But if they somehow did win this wild card game, he might not be available for the rest of the playoffs. So I don't know. We, we will see. Anyway, um, I don't like, as I was saying when I was talking to Randall, I don't like giving predictions. So I'll just say what I said on there. Just early indications will tell you a lot. Anyway, um, as always, you can follow me at STH85. Uh, you can email the podcast, holycowpodcast at gmail. That's the address. Um, you can subscribe to my uh, podcast on iTunes. Just search for Holy Cow Cubs Podcast on iTunes and you can subscribe. And if you do subscribe, uh, if you'd rate the podcast, that would be great. Um, and other than that... Uh, if the Cubs win, I will have a NLDS preview. If they do not, I will get back to you some point in the near future with a, you know, end of season wrap up podcast. And uh, anyway, go Cubs beat the Rockies. Come on. <laughs>